This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Idea City Podcast. For more information or to watch talks online, go to ideacity.ca or check out the Idea City channel on YouTube. Hello, and welcome to Idea City on the Air, the radio show. By the end of the next half hour, you'll be inspired and enlightened by the world's biggest ideas, innovations, and breakthroughs as you hear about them in talks from the planet's smartest people. Moses Neimer's three-day annual Idea City conference in Toronto has been called Canada's premier meeting of the minds, and we're glad to have your mind with us. In this episode of Idea City on the Air, Bob Richard speaks about the moon, Mars, and beyond. Now, let's join Moses as he introduces Bob to the stage. Okay, now we segue to the easy part of the program, which is landing on the moon. Um, and our annual visit from my old pal, uh, Bob Richard, is... Ah, there you are. I am here. Uh, yeah. And so this part of the agenda is called uh, Moon, Mars, and Beyond, because we will also hear by beam from Pascal Lee, who is a Mars specialist, to tell us how soon we're going to get there and what we're going to do when we get there. So, uh, can you pick up this narrative? And I think so. You look great. Well, well so do you. Okay. <laughs> 20 years and you're still going strong. Still Moses. going strong. Yes. And, and uh, just to remind you all, uh, Bob is the head of a project called Moon Express. And Moon Express wants to be the first trucking company that can land payloads onto the moon and deliver payloads from the moon. I tried to convince them to call it the Ace Trucking Company, but <laughs> they didn't go for it. Um, Bob heads up this significant effort. Uh, the company was a serious contender for the Lunar X Prize. And uh, full disclosure, I am a very minor shareholder, but a big booster. And a huge in my heart. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much, much, Bob. You care. In our journey as human beings, we have a, we have a destiny uh, that, 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 that began for many of us um, uh, during the days of Apollo when, when nation states were competing for technological supremacy. And, and here we are 50 years later transitioning as a species into a much more important uh, future. Uh, one that is actually, I think, better embodying us as a species, where we are expanding the economic sphere of Earth and the social sphere of Earth beyond the boundaries of the planet that we have inhabited. I'm just going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, the importance of going to the moon and, and using it as a stepping stone for our evolution as a species. Uh, I talked about the Apollo program and how the motivations for it were perhaps not um, 
uh, we won't be as proud about those motivations. However magnificent those accomplishments were as a species, those are magnificent things that we did. But the motivations of going out into space uh, as we uh, transcend this adolescence we've had in the planet and being harmful to each other and the planet itself, we need to go out to space and beyond the moon and to Mars and beyond as a, as a mature species of where we bring the, the better parts of us with us, the, the, the love, the aspirations, the inclusiveness, all the things that I think are embodied by the younger generations that we have today than the older generations that first ventured out. Uh, Moon Express, we are inventing these robots uh, that are uh, pretty intelligent, um, that can land on, they're like scouts. They, they go and they, they land on the moon and they discover things and then the humans will follow. And, and these landers that we're building at Moon Express get bigger and bigger and uh, we eventually want to um, mine the moon, uh, harvest those resources, bring resources back to Earth not just for scientific purposes, but there are useful things in the moon. There's a lot of water on the moon, which uh, actually is an enabling substance for us, not just for water to drink and to breathe, but if you break it into its constituents, hydrogen and oxygen, it becomes rocket fuel. So in the, this animation you're seeing behind, it's, it's, it's looking at the mechanics of, of going and getting, bringing back to Earth. And these are the... the these are the very first days of us exploring a whole new world and learning how to live offshore, to live in these other worlds. And this will lead to um, a permanent human presence in the moon as we evolve as a planetary species. And we're gonna learn how to live off world in our backyard. But this is a stepping stone to Mars. And, and as I introduce Mars, um, I wanna introduce a friend of mine um, who has a robotic presence right now. I don't know if you can actually move, Pascal. Are you movable? Can you drive? Uh, I'm uh, a little bit impaired, but um, can we? Can we? Uh, can I help you? Can I help? Can we help yes, him over? That would let's be do good. this. Okay, let's. We'll bring out. So, Moon Express has a daily shuttle from the Moon to Earth. Pascal missed it. He was supposed to be on this morning's shuttle. So he's on the Moon, and uh, we're able to, through the magic of technology, through beaming, able to talk to Pascal. And you might notice that there's a little bit of a delay as we talk because there's about a light second between the Earth and the Moon, so it takes about that long to get there. Is that right, Pascal? Yes, that's, that's correct. So you're probably hearing me with a bit of delay. Hi, everybody. Sorry, cannot be there with you in, in person. The Toronto is just too far away to, to, to reach, and I, I, I missed the launch window. <laughs> but uh, I know that you do, you do love dogs, and you have, I think you have your dogs with you there. And we do have a dog uh, mining on the moon behind us in the visualization here. This is our new technology of how we're going to dig for our resources on the moon. Pascal, you're so, also... Yes, uh, Go ahead. Uh, I, I have a video, a short video to show today that was uh, filmed on Devon Island in your beautiful Canada uh, last summer. And Devon Island is this place we have been going to every summer, at least for me, for the past 23 years. And it's one of the most Mars-like and Moon-like places on Earth. And so without further ado, I just want to, to share with you some of the, the beauties of the site and, and the work we do there. The first time we arrived on Devon Island, we landed in this plane. The team was very small, we were just four people. And I was just completely taken aback by how Mars-like the whole landscape was. 
especially you're flying in, it looks just like a moon base. The land is desolate. We had to take seven flights to get here. It's a really tough undertaking, but it's extremely fascinating. This is a place that is barren. Vast, intimidating. You're rambling through areas that are quite dangerous. It's isolated and remote and rocky, just like the surface of Mars is. I think someday there will be humans walking on Mars, definitely. My guess is that the first people who land on Mars will say something to the effect, oh wow, this looks just like Devon Island. My name is Pascal Lee. I'm a planetary scientist. I work with the Mars Institute and the SETI Institute. Devon Island is the world's largest uninhabited island. It's cold, dry. I call this place Mars on Earth. We find exactly the same looking canyons, valleys, and gullies here. It's just very desolate and empty of everything. Here, there's no road to go back to. There are no streets, but there'll be street view. My name is Katya Minitenko, and I am working on all things related to Mars uh, and Google, sort of bridging the two things. We have an amazing team from Google. We are adding our base camp and our surroundings to Google Street View. We're going to be able to see it and welcome everybody to Mars. associated with Pascal ever since we began this project back in 1996. As camp manager, I'm responsible for the smooth running of camp and getting all of the equipment up and running and, and operating smoothly. So one of the first things I do when I get up in the morning is start the generators, start the water pump, and uh, sometimes I cook breakfast. All right, take it in. In the meantime, the people in camp are just starting to wake up. Yeah, we've been getting <clears throat> up at six every morning. Steve and I and John. Wake up every morning, brush your teeth, uh, give yourself a bath using baby wipes. You go to breakfast, you're constantly covered in many layers, you're wearing gloves. It is the high Arctic, so temperature is always down right around freezing. I've been helping out with the Humvees, working on those, and it's a new experience for me. Coming up after the break. It has exactly the profile, the slopes, the topography, if you will, of some of the canyons we see on Mars. Welcome back to Idea City on the Air. You're listening to Bob Richards speak about the moon, Mars, and beyond. I'm David North, and I'm an engineer at the NASA Langley Research Center. I'm happy to be part of the science and research that will someday lead to a younger generation landing on Mars. Altitude 502 okay. feet. There's something on the other side of the hill yeah, there, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. See this green stuff over oh, yeah. here? It's very difficult to fly on Mars because the atmosphere is so thin. So the trick is to make your vehicle very light, and this vehicle is a vertical takeoff and landing vehicle. And the idea there is there are no prepared runways on Mars. So you have to land in such a way that 
you can land in rough terrain or, or terrain that doesn't allow for rolling landings. Tipping over is definitely an issue for this aircraft. So there's one of the things we're learning about this aircraft is maybe the wheelbase needs to be a little bit bigger, particularly if it's a robotic aircraft and there's no one there to fly it. I bring my dog up here because he has a very specific role. We are in the Arctic. We're not at the top of the food chain. It's the polar bear that's at the top of the food chain. And so we have a dog here as part of our bear wildlife deterrent system. The hope is that my dog would be able to sniff out a bear and not attack it, but distract the bear and buy us a little more time. The science is only part one of our work. The other part is we're learning how to explore. Okay, so today we're going to Astronaut Canyon. It's spectacular and it's really very similar in morphology to what we see on Mars. It takes about two and a half hours to get there. I think this could be one of our panos for the Voyager story. We're gonna be out on an ATV ride and heading far away from the habitat and all around you, 360 degrees, you see nothing but rocks. So the way you would explore Mars is driving your ATV wearing a spacesuit, and while you're riding, you're connected to your reserves so that they will recharge the oxygen tanks and the batteries in your backpack. Your ATV would be a self-driving robot that would follow you in your exploration on foot. It has exactly the profile, the slopes, the topography, if you will, of some of the canyons we see on Mars. I am actually collecting seven to ten panoramas to create a Voyager story. It's not just spending money to build a rocket and train people and build hardware and fly to Mars with the fuel. It's the fact that this will galvanize an entire new generation of people to go into science. Well, um, we've been working in space science for a long time. We've done uh, Mars missions together. We've done moon missions together. Uh, there's kind of a dichotomy in the community between is it moon or is it Mars? Um, how do you respond to that? Oh, I, I, I think uh, at this point we, we really have to go back to the moon before we, we go back to Mars. Um, it, it's not really an engineering requirement to go back to the moon before you go to Mars. Uh, it's more of a, a geopolitical one, really. If you if you really analyze what justified the expenditure of, of large amounts of resources for exploration, typically it's it's actually uh, national interest geopolitics. It's it's not as inspiring as as the desire to explore and and wonder out there. Now. Uh, this is even true for Antarctica today. We, we have many countries that have stations there. These stations cost a lot to run. Uh, but what motivates our presence in these places is geopolitics. But once you've committed to being in, in places like Antarctica, like the moon, uh, what else is there to do but science? You, you're not going to open a law firm or um, you know a restaurant quite yet. 
uh, you, you do science. And so science dominates the activity that you carry out at these places, but it's not, the, it's not really the root cause, the root motivation of us being there. Thank you very much, uh, Pascal. And, and we do have a, an interesting transformation happening right now with the moon. We do have geopolitics. China's on the moon. Uh, the U.S. is definitely dedicated to going back to the moon or going forward to the moon. Uh, many countries, uh, small to large, are going to the moon, including Canada. Thank you, Canada, for coming to the moon with us. But the way that this is going to play out is not certain. And, and the other, it's not just government players anymore, as you pointed out. There's also commercial players, like Moon Express and others. Um, SpaceX, everybody knows, is transforming the way that, uh, and the cost of getting from the surface of the Earth into space with a large aspiration of getting to Mars. Um, and what we're seeing with Moon Express and other companies is, is, the, is that economics, economic engine going outward, collapsing the cost, but that, that translates into democratizing access. It's not just monolithic government organizations which have these kind of binary outcomes of, of, of fear or, or war and peace, but much more um, synthesized humanity when you get so many people able to go. So to that's, your- That's exactly it, yes. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly it. And I, I think that we're, we're about to live a golden age of, of space exploration when, when accessing space and doing things uh, on private terms uh, has finally become possible. Uh, and so this, this is going to really open up the, the range of things we do and the, the motivations that we put behind the things we do out in space. How many people in this audience were actually alive when Apollo 11 in 1969? There are a lot of hands in this audience, the Apollo generation, uh, which was really personified with this right stuff, heroics. Um, my, our friend, Buzz Aldrin, and I think something, and that was really important, Moses, but I think what's happening today is today we have the Artemis generation. Apollo had a twin sister named Artemis. And the U.S. is dedicated now to the Artemis program to put the first woman on the moon. And in doing so, I think bringing our humanity with us. I think the young generation today is a much better generation and I think we're going to be a much better species going out as the Artemis generation going forward. Thank you very much, Pascal, for joining uh, before, us. The before, moon. before you before you leave, Pascal, oh, go away. yeah. Can I just clarify this uh, controversy about whether or not the next logical step is to create a space station around the moon or to land on the moon and create the space station on the surface of the moon? Can you explain that to me? Did he hear me? Yeah, Pascal, I'm going to pass that hot to potato to, to you. He wants to go to the surface. All right, we well. want to go to the surface. That's where we want to explore. Yeah. But there, there are merits to having a facility in orbit as well. We, we want to understand better, for example, uh, deep space radiation and also the, the um, sustainability and uh, 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 survival of hardware in a radiation environment. So it's not just on, on living beings but also on hardware uh, that we would gain by being really in orbit around the moon as opposed to being at the surface where, where radiation is, is a bit reduced. So who's arguing for which option? NASA's planning to uh, put a space station around the moon and then be able to access the surface. Uh, moon Express and other companies are just going, we can't afford a space station. We're just going to go directly right to the surface and take scientists like Pascal with, well, 
their instruments with us, eventually themselves. But that's just an economic consideration. It is. It's not a scientific yeah. consideration or Correct. a spiritual consideration. Correct. Okay. So getting on the surface. I, I, feel, I feel that if we had if we had to choose between the two, it would be a base on the moon because you, you really have to occupy the moon in order to explore it in detail. Uh, and there's much to explore. Uh, but in reality, the, the optimal solution is to have both a base on the moon and an orbiting station around the moon. All of the above. Okay. That, that, would, that would turn us into a real spacefaring society. Thanks for listening to Idea City on the Air. Catch Moses Neimer's Idea City Conference live every June in Toronto or on regularly scheduled radio and TV shows throughout the year. And find hundreds of talks online every day at ideacity.ca. For more information about Idea City, find us online at ideacity.ca, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or youtube.com slash ideacity. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.